So we are continuing in our Tattoo My Soul sermon series. I don't have any uh, sweet tattoos for you, but I do love the sermon series, and so we're, we're going to keep in it. Um, it's been all about this kind of thesis verse here for us, which is Deuteron- Deuteronomy 11, write my words on your heart and in your soul, and then all the good things that come whenever we devote ourselves to hearing and obeying God's Word. The Bible repeats over and over and over and over again, if you want to be happy, obey God. Get to know God. Enjoy God, and you will find happiness. Now, that's completely opposite of what we hear most days from the world, right? The world tells us that in order to be happy, just uh, there's there's a, about a thousand different things that they're telling us, but uh, one of the main things I think in our culture especially, they're telling us that if, if you get more attention, you will get more happiness. Like if you have more followers, if you have more likes, if you have more people paying attention to you, then you'll find more peace and happiness and excitement in life. Like if, if everyone would just t- stop, take a moment, and look how awesome I am. Like, if, if everyone could just see how great I am, then I would feel happy. And I, I, it's not going to work. I tell you, some of the, the people that struggle with, um, with self-denial and, and, and depression the most are some of the people that, that millions of people are looking to each and every day. Like, attention in and of itself does not help us. In fact, most of the times it, it hurts us. What, is the, what else does the world say will bring us happiness? Well, like money and, and fun and, and success. You think about like LeBron James here, arguably one of like the top five greatest basketball players of all time. Some weirdos will say he's the best, but he's not. Just going to leave that debate on the side. But he's won several NBA championships, and like the dude is just phenomenal. But even he will say that... It's always about what's next. I, okay, okay we, we won the championship, but that's not good enough. I need more. I need more championships. I need more rings. I need more, more goals. I need, I need everything has to be more better. He's not satisfied. I mean, I think about Lawrence Taylor, who some of you guys may know, but he's like considered the greatest NFL defensive player of all time. The dude was just an animal. He's incredible. This is what he said after he won the Super Bowl. So when the Super Bowl was over, everyone was so excited, but by then I just felt deflated. I'd won every award, had my best season, finally won the Super Bowl. I was on top of the world, right? So what could be next? Nothing. The thrill is the chase to get to the top, and every day the excitement builds and builds and builds, and then when you're finally there and the game is over, it's just nothing. Man, this guy had everything. The dude was making millions upon millions of dollars every year in endorsements and in salary. He was feared on the football team or on the football field by, by the offense. Like they, they didn't want any part of him because he was so amazing. He had won Super Bowls and awards and MVPs and he had it all. But he's saying, and I was on top of the world. I had nothing. The things that the world promises to us to satisfy us, never do. So what does satisfy us? Well, Jesus said it. The the creator of the universe, the one who set us up and and designed how we work and how we feel and how we operate, 
He said it best in Luke eleven twenty eight. Happy are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Jesus is saying, look, if you want to be happy, then get to know me in my word. In spite of the circumstances around you, in spite of how hard it is around you, if you will just get to know God in his word and then obey him, man, you will experience peace and contentment and satisfaction and joy and this was a big turning point for me was about three months ago, and I was at this kind of crossroads where I needed to make this really big decision, and it was just overwhelming me, like absolutely overwhelming me. And I got to this place of just feeling depressed and angry and anxious and fretful and fearful, like all at the same time, all these, these emotions I was feeling. And so what, what did I do in order to get out of that? Well, I, I'm supposed to be a, a pastor, but, but I, I did the opposite of what I tell you guys to do. I watched The Office for like 12 hours straight. I went to the office and I was like, okay, maybe, maybe if I can just laugh. Just let me laugh for a while. And so I watched The Office and it was, it was fun. I chuckled a little. At the end of it, after a long time of pouring myself into this thing that, that was promising me joy, and after it was, it was over, and after I turned off the TV, I was just like, well, now what? Like Lawrence Taylor. Man, nothing. There's, there's nothing here. And so I was like, well, I don't know. Maybe I should do what I tell everyone else to do in, in sermons. I should probably spend some time with the Lord. And so that's what I did. It was like 10 o'clock at night, which for me is, is late, but for a lot of you is like, oh, and I just getting started. But for me, I'm an old man, so I go to bed at 5 p.m. and eat dinner at 3. And so, like, that was late for me. But it was at, like, 10 p.m. I was like, okay, I'm just going to spend some time with the Lord. And within 20 minutes of me getting into God's Word and me praying and pouring out my feelings to Him of, of man, God, this, this is overwhelming me. Would you, would you speak to me, please? After 20 minutes of that, God spoke to me probably clearer than maybe I've ever heard Him before. And from that point on, I had such peace and contentment and joy. And I wasn't worried about my circumstances anymore because I had gotten closer to the Lord. I had heard his word and then obeyed what he had told me to do. And every single day, we have two choices in this life. We can either choose life or we can choose death. We can either choose to, to put our time and efforts into the things that will bring us life and contentment and joy and happiness. Or we can choose to pour ourselves into the things that just bring us death. Just, oh, gross. No, it's hurting us. It's taking life from us. It's in the moment may seem fun, but, but after you're done, you just like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. We have a choice each and every day. And so... In order to illustrate this choice between what truly satisfies and what doesn't, I need a volunteer. Now, before you volunteer, I need someone who loves food who is not a vegetarian. Who really wants it? I'm seeing pointing. Sam, Sam, come up here. Yeah, give it up. Give it up for Sam. Now, Sam, you're not a vegetarian. Are you sure? 
Are you sure? Come up on stage with me. Sam, do you like salad? How much do you like salad? He eats it twice a week. That's more than I eat it twice a year. Here's the deal. Iceberg lettuce is okay, right? No, it's not. It's terrible. You're wrong. No, that's gross. I'm sorry. Here's the deal, Sam. What I need you to do is just take a big old bite of this iceberg lettuce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the biggest bite you can. Yeah, that was perfect. I can't. I don't know. You want more? You want more? You want more? I don't know, Sam. Have some more. It's what it's just it's not good. I'll just spread it on the ground. Uh, here's the deal. Iceberg lettuce is okay, right? It's okay. If you eat this entire head of iceberg lettuce, you're still gonna be hungry in 30 minutes. It doesn't satisfy you. Why? Because it's garbage. It's basically water. That's all it is. I mean, water's good, but not to eat. Here's the deal. This doesn't satisfy. This doesn't last. Jeremiah, where are you at? Let's see. Let's try something that really satisfies. This is like fear factor. Do you want a cockroach or do you want a maggot? Or do you want some delicious steak? Yes. Tenderloin steak is just it's phenomenal. Yeah. You want some more? Yeah. Yeah, you want more. You know why? Because it's good. It's steak and it satisfies. I don't know. Am I smacking into the mic? I'm sorry if I am. It's just so good. Here's the deal, Sam. Why don't you give it up for a second? Take us back to your seat and share with your friends. Mmm. Mmm. Oh, that's good. I'm sorry, I'm going to keep chewing into the microphone. You just um, ignore the smacking sounds. I think I took too big of a bite. I don't want to talk with my mouth full, so I'm just going to bide my time right here. <laughs> she goes, ew. Here's the deal. That lettuce doesn't satisfy. Sam can attest that it's not that great, and in fact, it will not fill him up for, for longer than, I don't know, an hour. When we go to the things of this world, when we turn to pornography or entertainment or, or just mindless fun, when we, we turn to uh, other people before Jesus, when we turn to any sort of like substances to numb us, like, it's iceberg lettuce. It doesn't satisfy us. It leaves us longing for more. When I turn to the office for 12 hours of just watching episode after episode of, like, maybe this will be the episode where I finally experience true joy. And I was left empty 
after all that time pouring into it. But when we instead make the choice for life, which is getting into God's word, hearing his word, and then obeying it, man, that is like like sitting down to a, a fine steak dinner. And how do you feel after you've eaten a big old steak? You're just like, oh, I'm, I'm just, I don't need anything else. Maybe a nap. When we, every day, make the choice to pursue the things of God, he will satisfy us just like with a, a, a fatty, good steak. Every day we have the choice, though. Are we going to choose to pursue what will truly give us happiness? Or are we going to choose to pursue the things that are just like, like bubbles in the air? Like they're shiny and they look good, but when you touch them, they just, they just explode. Today we're going to talk about a psalm where, where David, you know, King David, is out in the wilderness. He's out by himself. He's being hunted by his enemies. In fact, some scholars even say that he's being hunted by one of his own sons. His own son wants to kill him. So he's out in the desert, in the wilderness by himself, and he writes this psalm. But I just want you to kind of place yourself in his position for a moment. Imagine that that your closest family members have all of a sudden turned on you, and it's not just that they don't want the best for you anymore. No, in fact, they want to kill you. And they want to take everything that you have. And so now you're on the run. You're in a, a foreign land that you've never known before. And you're sitting out in the middle of a desert around a campfire. You're kind of like this person here. Just by yourself. Hanging out. My response, if this is, is my uh, initial reaction, if, if I am David here, my reaction is, God, this is not fair. God, how could you let me do this? I thought that I was your chosen one. Like, I thought that I was supposed to be your guy, and yet you're letting me be pursued by my enemies? Lord, why aren't you saving me? My initial response is, is just complaint. Like, God, what is wrong? Why, why are you not helping me? Man, that's, that's not David here. Listen to what David writes in the middle of his suffering. In the middle of one of the hardest times of his life, David says this, Oh God, you are my God, and I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. In the midst of David's suffering, he, he's not saying, Lord, this isn't fair. Change my circumstances. No, David's saying, Jesus, I, I don't need changed circumstances. I, I don't need a, a bigger house. I don't need better friends. No, Jesus, all I need is you and you alone. Give me more of yourself. Jesus, if you take away everything from me but just leave me with yourself, God, it's enough. David here is giving us the, the roadmap for how to respond in suffering, in hard circumstances. The question is, where do you run when the battle is hard? If you're like me, you, you turn to entertainment. Okay, I'm just going to numb my mind with things that make me laugh or, or stories that I can follow. And then afterwards, it's left me empty. Where do you run when the battle is hard? Is it pornography? Is it, is it a certain friendship? Is it sleep? 
Is it video games? Like, what, when the battle is hard, when life is at its hardest, what's, what's your go-to initial response? David knew that running to those things that are not Jesus would only result in death, would only result in feeling empty and lifeless. I mean, just ask yourself, how do you feel after you look at pornography? It's gross, right? Like, oh, man, I wish I didn't do that. How do you feel after spending five hours on Instagram? Just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Maybe if I see the right picture, then I'll finally have joy. You just have like a headache and you just feel gross. Like when we run to the things of this world, man, they just don't satisfy. And they can't satisfy. In fact, they were never designed to satisfy. They were meant to point out the fact that only Jesus can satisfy us. When we look to all the things of this world and nothing can satisfy us, it points to the fact that there is one who can. And over and over in Scripture, he says, come to me. Come to me. I will give you living water. I am the bread of life. If we're not turning to Jesus when life is hard, we're going to be in for a world of hurt. So David begins this psalm by saying, God, you're my God. I'm going to seek you. I, I, I just need you. I don't need anything else. I just need you. Well, how does David know that God is the answer here? Well, because he says in verse 2, I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and your glory. God, your unfailing love is better than life itself. Oh, how I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. David here is saying, look, I, I know, God, that you're the only answer. How? Because I've seen you before. God, I've seen the power of your presence before. I've experienced your goodness before, just like a lot of us have. I mean, you think about, about all of our, our times together. Maybe, maybe think back to last freedom when we're, we're all together worshiping. Maybe think if you were in Dominican Republic, you've been on a, a trip where, where you just had, man, that was such a good time of worship together. Maybe you had just a killer quiet time one day where God was just speaking to you and you were enjoying him. And each of us have seen the goodness of God in our lives, even if you don't realize it. Even if you don't realize it, God has been good to us. David remembers back to the times whenever he enjoyed God's presence, when he was with God in close communion. And so because of that, he's able to run to God in his distress and say, okay, I just I need to get back to a place of intimacy with you, Lord. So when life overwhelms us, when, when depression and anxiety and fear and all the pressures of life come against us, and we have to be turning to Christ. Because if we're not, we're not going to be satisfied. We're not going to make it. But if we will instead direct our eyes like David is doing here, that even though my circumstances aren't different, even though nothing around me is changing Jesus, if I can just have you, then that's enough. That's all I need. So how does David find his peace in the midst of the storm? Well, he remembers God's goodness 
Listen to verse 5. It says, You satisfy me more than the richest feast, and I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night, and because you have been my help, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. David is satisfied because he is remembering back on all the times that God has been faithful to him before. Listen to what he says. I, I, I lay awake, God, just thinking of you. Lord, I can't stop thinking about who you are and all that you've done in my life and all that I've seen you do and all that you've spoken to me. He's meditating on the Lord in, his, in the middle of his dark time, in the middle of his distress. He's choosing not to dwell on the anxiety, not to dwell on the, the enemy that is pursuing him. No, he's saying, okay, God, if I can just fix my mind on you, then I can make it. I'm going to be okay. David is remembering back to specific instances of God's faithfulness. In verse 7, it says, Because you have been my help, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. David couldn't say that if he hasn't seen God be his help before. And so we think back, even, even what the Bible says about how God came through for David, time and time Again, I mean, you even think as a, a little boy, how God delivered David from, from bears and lions and then against Goliath, like he had no right to be fighting this giant of a man. And yet God was faithful to come through in the midst of it. And so, so David is, I'm just, I picture David just thinking back like, man, God, you destroyed that giant. I had no right to be fighting him. I had no right to defeat him. He should have crushed me, but because you were on my side, God, I overcame him. I overcame my enemy, not because of me, but because of you. And so, God, in the same way, in the midst of this dark time, in the midst of these enemies coming against me, you've been faithful then. You're going to be faithful now. When we meditate on the faithfulness of God in our lives, it reminds us that, man, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. If he's been faithful before, then he'll be faithful again. You know, even the world will tell us that gratitude is key. Like the secular, secular world that, that doesn't believe an ounce in the existence of God at all will tell you, and gratitude is a, a key to happiness in this life. There's this professor at UC Davis, Professor Emmons. He's a psychologist, and he like only studies thankfulness and, and, and mental health and all that stuff. And he says, gratitude, they've done studies, gratitude can lower blood pressure, improve immune function, facilitate more efficient sleep. Gratitude reduces lifetime risk for depression, anxiety, and substance abuse disorders, and is key resiliency factor in the prevention of suicide. Even the world that would say, there is no God, they're saying, man, but there's something to being thankful. Well, they're not saying anything new. It's not like the, the Christians are, are listening to this professor like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we haven't heard that before. No, God has literally been saying that in the Bible for thousands of years. He says over and over and over again, give thanks to the Lord 
Praise the Lord for all his goodness towards you. Sing of the good things that God's done. God over and over again is reminding us, man, if you want to experience contentment and happiness, give thanks to the Lord for all that he has done and said, and we will be satisfied. Satisfied like with a, a, a tenderloin steak, not satisfied like with a junky iceberg lettuce. When God says he wants to satisfy us, and he wants to satisfy the deepest parts of our soul, just like, like you experience after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's coming up. How many of you guys are just going to demolish a turkey? You guys need to up your eating game. That's all I'm saying. How do you feel after Thanksgiving Day? Like, like after your meal, and you, you've, you've had your, your turkey, and your ham, and your pecan pie, and... And you're going back for seconds, like, and you're, you're done with your meal. Do you feel, like, hungry? Like, oh, man, I really need some more. Like, I really wish I could have a whole another turkey leg. Like, it's, it's like, yeah, I'm real hungry. No, we're, we're satisfied after. It's like, man, I just want to take a nap and watch the game. That's how God wants to satisfy us. But, but that's not going to come. That kind of real, deep, abiding Contentment is not going to come apart from getting close to God. It's not going to come apart from getting to know him in his word and obeying him. We try all the time to go to the things of the world. We're like, okay, that looks easier. That looks better. That looks shinier. But you know as well as I do that those things all leave us empty. And David is saying here, when we're tempted to fear, when we're tempted to be anxious, turn to God and remind yourself of the faithfulness of God. And I had to do this recently. I mean, this past year for me has been very challenging. It's been a very hard year for me. And I came to this place um, a couple of weeks ago where I was like, God, I don't, I don't know if I can take it anymore. Like, I, I'm just... I'm about to tap out. Like, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And, and so I got alone with God for a week. Just went off by myself and got alone with the Lord. And spent a lot of time in God's word hearing from him. But it wasn't until I started thinking back on all that God has done in my life that I began to experience real joy and real refreshment. What I had to do in the, in the midst of that week is... I was like, man, nothing I'm doing is working. And so I just started listing out and thanking God for all that he has done for me. And I had to go back to the very beginning, to the very beginning of my relationship with Christ. When I was 12 years old, and I had struggled like a crippling fear of going to sleep. Like I always thought there was at least two axe murderers in my room every single night. And I couldn't go to sleep for hours every night. I went downstairs one night, just struggling with it, and talked to my parents, and they ended up leading me to Christ, and, and I went back upstairs and slept like a baby, and hadn't experienced fear like that since. Like, the fear was just gone. God, in his mercy and grace, was good to me. He showed me his faithfulness in that moment, and I was able to recall that this, these past few weeks, and I'm like, 
man, that, that's not an accident. That's not an accident that, that the, the night that I give my life to Christ, that, that he rescues me, that he saves me, that that same very night I go up and sleep better than I have my entire life and haven't had that since. No, that is the goodness of God. That's the faithfulness of God. Even the world will say, there's, there's no way. You can't just like manufacture non-fear. It's not like they're like, okay, I just want you to go upstairs and make yourself not be afraid. Have you ever tried to make yourself not be afraid? It doesn't work. God, in his faithfulness, freed me from that, and I was able to look back on that specific instance of his goodness to me, and man, it brought me so much life, like, okay, God, if you've been faithful before, you'll be faithful today, and you'll be faithful tomorrow, because God is the God that never changes. He's the same God yesterday as he is today, as he will be tomorrow and for all of eternity. Remembering God's goodness, God's